This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hit! Browns are going to win! Mayfield, end zone, Landry, touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorshuk from the Canton Repository. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Apologies for last week, we were off uh, because quite frankly I was on vacation and Nate was at the Combine, so um, we just didn't get around to recording last week after previewing the Combine, but now that it is in in the rear view, we are going to talk about it a little bit today. Uh, and what Nate observed, who he talked to, who maybe he's become a fan of, and some other some other Browns-based combine things. But, Nate, we have to start with the, the big news that came out over the weekend is that the expectation now is that the Browns are going to move on from linebacker Joe Schobert. Well, what's your first impression of, of that development? Well, we really, I think, foreshadowed this or forecasted this pretty well in the last podcast but the recap I said I was leaning toward them moving on not re-signing Joe Schobert thought he had a better chance now that Andrew Berry's the GM instead of John Dorsey but still didn't think that he had a good enough chance for me to lean that he would come back and I leaned the other way that he wouldn't come back and uh, I also lamented that Dan and thought that you know that would not be a great thing because the Browns have had so many regime changes throughout the years that they inevitably have let good players walk away when new people have taken over, and that's the direction this is heading again. Um, You know, over the weekend, um, you know, I was able to talk to some people and, uh, you know, uh, the the basic uh, feeling right now is that you know, Joe Schober is going to command at least $10 million a year in free agency. And the Browns just don't want to go that far in a financial commitment to Joe Schobert. That they have a price in mind and it's not going to reach that level. And Joe's going to have. Uh, multiple teams that are going to be pursuing him at that level. And so that's the expectation from, uh, you know, Joe Schobert's camp. Um, He's just going to have a market created for him that the Browns aren't going to be interested in, uh, you know, diving into. And, you know, Joe Schobert's agent met with Andrew Barry at the NFL scouting combine, and this was kind of the result of the conversation. You know, both sides were able to kind of, um, you know, state where they were and how they felt about the situation and, and, and you know, what the market would look like for Joe, and, and this is the conclusion. He is expected to sign elsewhere March 18th. 
Yeah, and the, the story you wrote about it, which is up over at beaconjournal.com slash browns, you kind of went into detail why the Jets make sense, and that that is smart. But let me ask you this about about this. is Do you think that the Browns' stance on Schobert is based on Joe Schobert or how they value the position in terms of how much they want to pay it? Do you have any insight into... It's a Joe Schober thing or a positional value thing? I think it's a combination of both, but probably more a positional value thing if I had to weigh the two factors that we're discussing here. That, that's what I'm I, thinking, too. Yeah, I, I do think that. But I do think that, the, I do think that there is part of... Um, I think there's part of this thinking when you're a new coaching staff coming in. And now Andrew Barry, again, I, I, Joe Schobert, I think, had a better chance with Andrew Barry. Like, here's the thing. Like, Andrew Barry, it's not that he doesn't want Joe Schobert back. He just wants him back at the right price, and that price isn't going to be right for Joe based on what he's going to be able to get from other teams. And over the length of the contract that he's going to be able to sign, it's going to be significant money. So... Joe, you know, a little bit about him. His wife, Megan, is pregnant. This is their first child. You know, he's thinking, you know, big picture, uh, you know, family, all that stuff when it comes to this deal, knowing that, hey, when you're in the NFL and you get past your first contract, you have an opportunity to sign that second contract. That's where you really make your money to set up, you know, not only your life, but, you know, generations of your family so there's no doubt in my mind that all this is at the forefront of Joe Schober's thinking because when I was talking to people Dan one of the questions I was asking was hey is there any chance Joe's just going to say I want to stay in Cleveland and take less Mm. and I was told with with the market that is anticipated for him no and it's because of this kind of thing because of the, the money involved in the family uh, implications. Um, but I do think that they're, getting back to my original point, I do think that there is, it's mostly about the way that this new regime values this position, but I do think there is something to new coaches coming in and just kind of looking at the, the, the big picture of the defense and uh, wondering uh, about the exact impact that Joe was able to have and the fact that, you know, John Dorsey and his guys were here with, with Joe for a couple of years and they really weren't into bringing him back. I think there's some thoughts along those lines from these new coaches coming in. But from the Andrew Berry perspective, I, I think it's more of this is what we value in this position. In, you know, in terms of this position and our priorities. Here's a quote I want to read you from Andrew Barry that really kind of on Tuesday of the Combine, uh, almost a week ago, you know, put the writing on the wall, so to speak. And uh, This is Andrew Barry, and he says, Joe's a good player, an even better person. He goes on to say, he's obviously earned the right to test the market if he deems that appropriate. But it's one of those situations where we like Joe. It obviously has to work for both sides. It has to work for 
us from a cost perspective with our long-term roster strategy. And obviously, it has to be a fit for Joe and his family as well. I think that spells it out pretty pretty good. Today. Oh, yeah, I for mean, sure. You know, especially for Andrew Berry, a guy who's not going to say a lot, I think he's pretty forthcoming there. When you think about a cost perspective with our long-term roster strategy, knowing you have Baker Mayfield, you hope he has a bounce-back year and he's your franchise quarterback. You're going to have to pay him. Miles Garrett, your franchise defensive end, going to have to pay him. Uh, you know, Denzel Ward uh, stays healthy, puts together another good year at cornerback, and had to pay him. Uh, Nick Chubb, second in the league in rushing, should have won the rushing title last year. If you want to keep him, you're going to have to pay him, but we can get in a whole debate down the line whether a, a crew that's as into analytics as this crew is would, would pay a running back top money. So the bottom line is there are guys think about the words long-term roster strategy those are the names that jump out at you and um you know you're thinking about taking care of them you're you're probably not thinking about paying a linebacker you know 10 million dollars plus a year so and you know and then the the whole idea that has to work out for joe and his family as well as andrew barry said i just went over all that i really do think that that um you know that that's kind of where we're at with this whole situation yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the the money part of it in terms of the Browns' long-term building because Miles Garrett's going to come due sooner than people think. I mean, Jamal Adams, who has taken the same draft, number six by the Jets, as, as Miles Garrett, he's already squawking about his contract. And there's talks about Patrick Mahomes, who's taken 10th in that draft. And, of course, he's different because he's a quarterback and the best player in football but him possibly being the highest played payer, player in NFL history. So the, the time is just about now to really get into the Miles Garrett, you know, how much do you pay him kind of talk, and it's not going to be cheap. So if you're tying Joe Schobert up for, say, $10 million a year, and that might be on the low end of things, that, that makes things more challenging, especially when you combine stuff like we've talked about before, how much the Browns are paying their star-wide receivers, Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. And that kind of, it doesn't hamstring them completely, but it it, it all adds together, you know, in, in how the Browns are going to build their roster. So just letting Joe Schobert go make a new hole on the team, sure. But long-term... Maybe the positional value is just not there. So that's interesting, and we'll, we'll see what happens with the draft. You know, we, I, we, Yeah, go ahead. I do want to make one more point about positional value with mm-hmm. this regime. Uh, t- they've said it on the record. It's about passing. It's about the passing game. Kevin Stefanski and Andrew, and Andrew Barry have said it's about the passing game when, when they about, in terms of how they value positions. So obviously you think of quarterback and receivers, but – it goes way beyond that. It's it's the left tackle, the right tackle, the guys who protect the quarterback who allow him to throw it. <laughs> you right. know, that's the passing game. Again, it's not the running game. They're saying it's the passing game. Okay, so Nick Chubb, as good as he is, I don't, you know, going down the line, I don't expect them to, you know, make him the highest paid running back in NFL history. Like, you know what I mean, Dan? So, if you think about the passing game, flip it over to the other side of the ball. 
to vent. It's the pass rushers, right? It's the edge rushers. It's Miles Garrett. It's the corners. You know, it's Denzel Ward. You know, you, you can say it's, uh, you know, your safeties, you know, especially your, your, your ball hawking center field free safety. Now, Joe Schobert, middle linebacker, covering tight ends, running backs, certainly has a role in the passing game, but maybe not as much as some of those other ones as the edge rushers of the corner. So when you kind of rank the positions on defense and their impact on the passing game, his is not at the top. So, you know, your, your, your Danny Shelton run-stuffing D-tackle, that's going to be at the very bottom when it comes to this regime. This regime would not draft Danny Shelton 12th overall like Ray Farmer and Mike Pettin regime did. Um, so keep that in mind, everybody. That, that's what these guys are telling us. And that's, you know, also I think what they're illustrating somewhat with this decision. Yeah, for sure. We'll see where Schobert goes. I, I really think you're on to something with the Jets. Uh, moving on. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, if the Williams, Williams yeah. father-son coaching duo has its way, then yes. Yeah, and they, Greg Williams tends to push for things, so that that could be a very real possibility. But, Nate, you know, during our combine preview, we, we talked pretty extensively about how stacked this offensive tackle group is in the draft, and we talked extensively about how the Browns need two starting tackles somehow this offseason, whether it's free agency or the draft or combination. Um, you, so you talk to these guys. You saw these guys in person. They're gigantic humans. Which one of them really, which one of them really did it for you, quite frankly? Well, <laughs> it's funny because they lived up to the kind of the media stereotype of offensive linemen when it comes to interviews and that they're really good interviews, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, if you cover football or the NFL, you've heard this before, man, offensive linemen are, like, usually some of the best quotes in the locker room and some of the most interesting people. And these guys really stood out that way. The guy I came away just absolutely loving just from an interview uh, standpoint is Tristan Wirfs from Iowa. And I also liked uh, Mackay Beckton a lot, too. Um, I thought they both uh, really had nice, you know, personalities and, 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 you know, answered questions were forthcoming. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really, worse really hit home just because of his story. I, he's as blue-collar as it gets from a uh, small-town Iowa, um, Mount Vernon, and, you know, grew up with, a single mom and a sister who's a little bit younger than him and his mom has worked at Target for 28 years she started when she was 16 years old and you know he really was you know the man of the house so to speak you hear it all the time but you know it, it, it's tough growing up uh, you know with a mom and a sister small town and and you know you gotta kind of find your way as a young man and you know, he's made mistakes. Um, you know, he did have a, a, an arrest. He um, was suspended for the 2018 season opener as a result. He was uh, driving while intoxicated. He was driving a, a moped, actually. And, you know, I asked him about it. He said it was, you 
know, stupid. He thought he was invincible. Every team at the combine he's dealt with has asked him about it, and you know, he's told them that it's not going to be an issue because that's what they want to know. I don't know, Dan. Normally, this kind of uh, thing might freak me out a little bit with some of the guys I've covered, like you know, John Manziel, Josh Gordon, any kind of off-field trouble. I'm maybe hypersensitive to because I've seen the rounds get burned by guys with these issues so many times, but. I don't know. I don't know. Something about this guy feels different, and it feels like it was a blip on the radar, but who really knows? I just thought that he handled the question great and uh, seemed like he was very sincere about it and um, has a great story um, and, you know, seems to really appreciate everything that his mom sacrificed to put him in position to be able to live his dream and, uh, you know, state champion in wrestling state champion in discus state champion in shot put uh standout uh two-way lineman in high school um there's a lot to this guy's story and then you could kind of piggyback off this and let me know what you thought about his workout but by all accounts uh the numbers say it was off the chart yeah i mean everything this guy does is is great whether it's his play on the field, whether it was his interview uh, session, or whether it was his his workout, Nate. I mean, to me, he's just, he checks every single box that you want for the Browns in terms of what they want and what they need. And I mean, his, his workout, good grief. The last thing I said before I came over to the little room I come and record in now was, did you see Tristan Wirfs' thighs? Like... They're they're crazy. They're they're giant tree trunk legs, and he's like the lineman version of Saquon Barkley, where he's just this enormous athlete. I mean, Nate, he ran a four eight five forty, which was the fastest time of all the offensive linemen who ran this year by a fair amount, and he's three hundred and twenty pounds. I mean, he's not like. He's not a skinny guy. He's not a you know a smaller tight end converted to offensive tackle type of player. He's just a massive human who is a extremely athletic person. I don't know, man. He's we talked about it on the preview. To me, he's the he has to be number one for the Browns. I think it's just going to be a question of is he going to be there at at ten? And I, I'm not sure that's going to be the case. I like the idea of when you pick a guy 10th overall, 
knowing where you're going to play him. <laughs> yeah. It, it just reminds me of Austin Corbett and the thinking there that they didn't really know exactly where he was going to fit when they drafted him. They just thought he's going to fit somewhere on the offensive line. He's going to be really good for 10 years. Like, I understand that was the top of the second round, a little bit different than early in the first, but I don't know. When you draft a guy 10th overall, I'd like to know that they are convinced that he is the left tackle of the future rather than, well, we just got to kind of get him here and see where Bill Callahan thinks he can be best. You know, I don't know. I mean, so how do you view all that? Because I think you aren't nearly as concerned as I am about the position. Well, I'm not because I, I think if you if you played him at right tackle, I think that's fine. I think that's completely rational for a 10th pick in the draft in 2020 because it's such, to me, the the positional value between left and right tackles is pretty negligible. I mean, maybe you, you still give the nod to left tackle a little bit because you have a right-handed quarterback, but I don't know. I, I think there are so many good pass rushers that come from that side that you need a right tackle who's just as good as your left tackle. I mean, the, the Chiefs we, we saw with Mitchell Schwartz, I mean, he he was amazing in the playoffs. So um, I, I'm not concerned as much about his position. I understand the talk about him being a all-pro level guard. Um, I'm not sure that would be a bad thing either. I mean, the Browns do need a right guard, in my opinion. And Look at what happened with the Colts when they got um, Quentin Nelson a couple of years ago. Their offensive line was considered awful, god-awful terrible. And suddenly suddenly they, they take Ryan Kelly from Alabama at center one year, and he's, he's fine, he's good. But then they take Quentin Nelson the next year, and all of a sudden people now think the Colts have like one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. And they didn't really aggressively change their offensive tackle stuff. So if Worfs happens happens to be a guard, I think that's okay. Um, obviously, there's more value to the tackle position. But in a worst-case scenario where you're getting a really amazing guard, um, I don't know. I, I understand the concern about... That's what we thought Austin Corbett would be. I, I just think that they're worlds apart as players in terms of, you know, their their athleticism, their power, what what they can do on the field, um, who they did it against. So, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm all in on Tristan Wirfs, um, unfortunately, because I really don't think he's going to be there, but... I don't know, man. I, I just think he's one of the special players in the draft is all. I do, too, but let me ask you this. Yeah. Just to, you know, see if I can change your mind a little bit and be a little bit more worried like I am. Sure. Uh, join me in my anxiety. <laughs> uh, if the Browns sign a veteran right tackle, yes. does that affect your view of this situation, the Tristan Wirfs discussion? That that is a great question. It's the it's the Conklin conundrum, which a lot of, you know a lot of Browns fans still watch Jack Conklin. And, you know there was the report at the combine just to brief everyone quickly on Conklin. There was a report 
by I think Pro Football Talk that the Jets were going to get him, and then Adam Schefter of ESPN quickly denied that and said the market's going to be very strong for Jack Conklin, and you have to think the Browns will be involved in some regard. But I, I think it. I think it affects my opinion of it only because there are so many other potentially really good left tackles. You know, like if if the Browns have a right tackle that they like that they signed in free agency, and Werfs is there, and Andrew Thomas is there from Georgia, that's a tough discussion. Um, just going through it in my head, I guess I would lean Thomas, who I also really like. But, man, uh, it's going to be hard taking a blocker ahead of Werfs is all. And I I, I, I include all of them in that. Jedrick Wills from Alabama, too. So um, that's going to be tough. So, you know, Becton, if he's there, if Thomas is there, if Werfs is there, and the Browns have a right tackle, boy, that's tough. I don't think I have a good answer for you, except I, I, I think I would lean taking a more traditional left tackle then. But man, it's going to be tough passing on Werfs. I know. I, that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I love this guy. I think he's going to be good, but maybe more likely good at right tackle or right guard. Yeah. Than left tackle, and if the Browns have a right tackle, which there will be some veterans in free agency, they'll be definitely interested in pursuing, and they get one of them, then the math just leads me down this path to say, maybe I would like Mekhi Becton, just because of the fit, and what they have, and what they need, and right. yeah, I don't know, but you know, I mean, who knows, maybe Bill Callahan says he's convinced, and he's willing to bet his job that Tristan Wirfs can play left tackle, and play it really well. You know, I, I mean, that's the part that we have no idea about. Mm-hmm. Um, and what makes the guessing game so interesting and fun to talk about. Um, but let's talk about Makai Becton real quick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he, good he, grief. He's awesome. I mean, he's very, very, very impressive physically, and but also has a big personality. So I really enjoyed him. And uh, he sure, certainly was not afraid to, to brag about how he's able to move, unlike pretty much anyone else on earth his size. And I think he backed it up. He did. I mean, he was 364 pounds, but he still ran a 5-1-40, which is crazy. He has extremely long arms. Um, I'm just going through the, the results right now. He had the, it looks like, second, third longest arms at the Combine this year, which, which to me matters. I mean, Joe Thomas kind of proved it's it can be a little overrated arm length, but there's never anything wrong with having arms that are almost 36 inches long if you're an offensive tackle. Um, six foot seven, like I said, 364 pounds. Nate, you've been around some gigantic humans covering the Browns for 10 years, but have you ever been around a slimmer 360 pounder than Mackay Becton? He's not a he's not a fatso at all. He's, no, he's, he's not. Just huge. No, I'd say no. I'd yeah. say no. Like I've been around some just absolute giants. Um, Greg Robinson's a big guy. Yeah. Uh, Zach Banner, who's now at the Steelers, he's like their swing tackle. He's a huge human. Um, I mean. I don't, 
want to say he's six eight. Um, yeah, he this is. guy's this guy's yeah this guy's right there, uh, in, in a slimmer uh, frame, slimmer build. Um, this guy's yeah he <laughs> he stands out. You can't help but uh, turn your head, and and you know he's kind of. He's, these guys aren't Andre the Giant size, but it's that effect where, yeah. you know, Some guys you are see just a different. human that big, and yeah. you're like, what the hell? <laughs> That's amazing. And the, the things that he's able to do, and that he played in that stretch zone the Louisville, and that he um, can move the way he can, and you, and you said it on the last podcast, you set it up very nicely for him that, you know, despite his size, watch the way he's able to move, and I was, I was throwing the the tackle questions that Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry and they were talking about how hey you know this isn't to say that we don't like a guy who's explosive and powerful and has some snap at the point of attack but we really value movement skills in this scheme to run that outside zone we really value movement and the two guys we've talked about so far and, and worse than Beckton I think that they really you know backed up what they showed these guys on game tape and, and you know, when people are cross-checking, um, you know, that film with, with combine workouts and results, they're going to say these guys really can move the way we need them to. Mm-hmm. It really, you know, I see people kind of decry the, the combine process, and it is very weird. It's very strange. However... You know, what What do you get from watching drills? And to me, what you get from the combine is, so you get these numbers and you watch the drills. Does it change the way you feel about a player? And if it does, you go back and watch the player again and say, okay, did Makai Becton really move around as well as his numbers suggest he did? Or I thought this guy looked like he moved around really well, but his numbers are terrible. Where's the discrepancy there? So to me, that that is what the combine is for, in addition to the medical stuff and the exact sizing stuff and getting to know players stuff. It's yeah. it, Does their athleticism match what you feel about the player? And Nate, one of those guys to me that, that really his workout matched what he does on the field in terms of the Browns being interested is, is Andrew Thomas from Georgia. He looked so smooth doing the movement drills for an offensive tackle. He he just looks like a guy that can easily handle speed rushers. And when you have like when you have to block TJ Watt twice a year, when you have to block whoever the Ravens bring in to be their next great pass rusher, and they will, if you have to block, you know, the the Bengals always have these giant pass rushers. Um, he looks like a guy, Andrew Thomas does, that can easily handle playing that left tackle spot. Do you have any impressions of Andrew Thomas after chatting with him for a little bit? Um, I was not in, actually in front of him. Okay. I was in front of these other two guys we've talked about, but some of these guys went at this, um, you know how they set it up, Dan, these guys are at the podium at mm-hmm. the same time. So I was at one of these other guys while he was talking, but I read through all the Andrew Thomas quotes and everything, and he was really cool and talking about how he loved blocking for Nick Chubb and would love to do it again, and he would be another Thomas at left tackle for the Browns and 
looks up to Joe Thomas. Um, so he had a lot of rounds, questions thrown at him by other members of the Cleveland media. And, um, you know, I think that he definitely is a guy that is, is right there in the mix for him. And when we talk about, well, right tackle, left tackle, well, this guy, you know, he's got the experience at left tackle, you know. So there, there's less of a, uh, of a proje- uh, projection or guesswork there. He started at right tackle as a freshman, but moved to the left side as a sophomore. And, and you know, he's got a couple of years there under his belt. So I, I you know, you know, <laughs> I'm a stickler for that for some reason. <laughs> one thing that, um, one thing that uh, I want to ask you about as a guy who watches these guys in great detail and in, in, in the tape. Um, Dane Brugler from The Athletic and uh, Daniel Jeremiah, who I mentioned earlier from NFL Network, both um, in, in their writing and in a conference call, uh, you know, when uh, Daniel Jeremiah was previewing the comp, I mentioned balance issues. Um, th- 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 there are some concerns about uh, technique and uh, lower body fundamentals with Thomas, and Jeremiah says he just he ends up on the ground too much. Yeah, so, yeah. I don't know what that's about. I, you know, again, I, I, I talk about scars covering the Browns on this podcast a lot, <laughs> and and when I hear of certain situations, how things flash through my mind because of the traumatic experiences that you <laughs> that you go through when you when you when you cover and and observe closely and analyze a, a, a football organization in constant chaos, and when I think of offensive linemen drafted the first round who end up on the ground too much I think of Cam Irving um, so what the hell's going on with uh, Andrew Thomas in this criticism Dan well that that is the big concern with him and it it's just sometimes it's a matter of sometimes it's like two left feet kind of where guys just get a little mixed up and when they get knocked off um, their platform a little bit their any power advantage they might have is negated or the advantage of knowing what the play is going to be gets negated when your fundamentals and your technique is kind of compromised and you, you get put on your butt quite frankly uh, what I guess what I would say to that is you know Thomas is he comes from a strong pedigree of of conference. You know, he's going against the best of the best in college football. And he was very good. Um, I think he was an All-American after the 2018 season. But um, I would put him behind Werfs and Becton at this point because of that. But I also think, you know, what is what does a guy like Bill Callahan do best? He kind of works on these guys' fundamentals and gets the most out of what they can do. So the the concerns about Thomas and being knocked around and getting put down, I think can be, you know, mitigated somewhat by Bill Callahan and by Joel Batonio. I mean, sometimes having a good guard next to you who can you know, put a hand up every now and again to, to help out a little or, you know, doing that kind of stuff can can mask some of the flaws of an offensive tackle. So would I take Thomas before Becton? Maybe not. Would I take Thomas over Werfs? Maybe only if the Browns get a, a really good right tackle. 
but otherwise, you know, I, I think he's he's behind those guys. So the, the concern is legitimate, but I, I, I think he's a very good athlete. And I, I, he just looks like a left tackle to me. That's great insight. I want to ask you about one one other guy, and we could go whichever direction you want after this. But sure. Is Alabama's Chadrick Wills right up there in this class in terms of the best tackle? I mean, a lot of people say he is. Again, he played right tackle, though. And, you know, they'll point out that that's Tua's blind side. Well, okay, because Tua's left-handed, so that makes sense. He's protecting Tua's blind side. Well, it's still right tackle, so, mm-hmm. um, you know, you got to keep that in mind if you're looking for left tackle and how comfortable you are with that. But um, what do you think of him and where he fits in all this? Well, obviously he's really good. And the, the thing with him at right tackle, Alabama had a, a pretty good left tackle who didn't come out this year, Alex Leatherwood. He kind of had an up-and-down season, but a lot of people think he's a he's a first-round player in his own right. Um, and the same, quite frankly, can be said about Werfs. They had a, a guy who was a left tackle, so they, they put him at right tackle. So um, the, the position thing comes into play with, with who's on the roster. So... I, I do like Wills a fair amount. I, I said last week or the week before when we were doing the preview for the Combine that I liked Werfs more. Um, and I don't, I don't think anything's going to change my opinion. I, I do think Wills is a a guy who can play both sides, I think. Uh, he just didn't have to show that in college. But I, I think his foot quickness is there to be a left tackle. I think obviously he's powerful, and he's coming out of Alabama, so there's there's very few questions about his technique. Um, I, I think it's a it's the same situation as worse with him, Nate. You know that that we talked about what what else the Browns do. Yeah. And it, if it comes down to a thing of maybe worse is gone, and but Wills is there, you know, dude. Do you, do you go for the guy who you know is a right tackle, or do you go for Thomas or Beckton? Uh, so I, I'm, I'm going to feel the same way. I, it, it's just such a good year for offensive tackles. That the, the Browns are going are gonna to have a good problem to try and solve with, with that position, regardless of of who's there. They're going to have a big decision to make. and I don't know. The, the Browns never get lucky in terms of anything, quite frankly. But I, I really think they will with an offensive tackle in this draft. Uh, unless, of course, we can do a whole other podcast on this. Unless, of course, they trade down to acquire more draft capital. Because then we're going to start talking about guys like Austin Jackson and Josh Jones. And our colleague Marla Ride now wrote a really nice thing about Austin Jackson. So you can check that over again at beaconjournal.com slash browns. But... You know that 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 could lead to a whole other conversation of of trading down and and that kind of thing. But I I just really think the Browns are in strong position to answer or fill a giant franchise changing need if they stay at ten. Well, Jones and Jackson are they were left tackles in college. Yep. But are you consistently mocking all six of those guys in the first round? Yes. Okay. Without question, and now. There's even a thing where 
you know, I, I do a mock draft every Monday. And this week I worked Isaiah Wilson, the right tackle for Georgia, into the first round. And I think it makes sense. And, you know, Ezra Cleveland from Boise State is a name that people should know. Um, it's a extremely good year for offensive tackles is, is what it is. But, yeah, those, those six guys have been consistently first-round players for me, and there might even be more of them. All right. Uh, well, I would say that um, if you listen to the last podcast, you are all about the Georgia tackles and not just Andrew Thomas. So yes. I understand why you're, you know, taking that um, that path like you, you described. I mean, Isaiah Wilson is not quite Makai Becton, but good grief. He's like six six and a half and 350 pounds and just a massive human who happened to go pro after his redshirt sophomore year. Just, it's yeah. It's it's crazy how stacked the top of the draft is for offensive tackles. I mean, it might sound like I'm going overboard with my excitement about it or as much as I can convey my excitement with my monotone delivery, but um, it, it's such a good year for offensive tackles. It's crazy. Where did you put, did you say where you put Wilson? Somewhere in the back part of the first round. I don't remember. Okay. Pretty, pretty so deep. So he would be? Yeah. If the Browns trade back or trade, trade back down. in, yeah, yeah, for sure. Which is an unprecedented for them. But I again, mean, any, any other year, though, when you don't ha- have these big four guys, someone like Wilson might be a, a top 20 pick, a top 20 lock even. I had him going 27 to Seattle. Um, oh, and boy. I had, I had Josh Jones right in front of him at 26 to Miami, and I had Austin Jackson in front of him at 25 to Minnesota. So yeah. it's 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 loaded, and I I also wouldn't discount the, the Ezra Cleveland from Boise State, who's a really good athletic left tackle. So it's quite a year. Um, Where did the Browns when they had the 12th overall pick in 2017? The Sean Watson sit in there for him. <laughs> they trade all the way back to I think was it twenty seven. Uh, so, and that was under Sashi Brown, Andrew Berry. Yeah. So, Brown. yeah, it would not be unprecedented for a, for a big trade down. Mm. Now, mm. I mean, they did have the first overall pick in the same draft, so mm-hmm. they they picked Miles Garrett, so. A little bit different. You pick first, and then you trade. You use your second first round pick to trade way down. Yeah, they went down to twenty five. Was Peppers twenty five? Yeah. Okay. Ugh. All right. So Ugh. yeah, I mean, it's still. I mean, that's a that's a drop. Um, yeah, a big one. Twenty five. So so yeah, them trading down into the twenties. I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't think they would go down that far, but I wouldn't dismiss it as a possibility and then we're starting to talk about the tackles you're talking about pushing up into the first round right and quite frankly nate i would love if we were actually talking about trading up where you can make sure you're getting a worse and or put yourself in play to get isaiah simmons 
Um, I, I hear you, because it's so much more exciting. He's so good. Yeah, and you're talking about the, the argument of, uh, of quantity versus quality. Mm-hmm. The Browns has been tra- trading down for years that Sashi and Andrew Barry called the possessed regime. They gave up a lot of quality, as we know, and had a lot of quantity and not much return on it. So I, I love the idea of quality because these players are exciting. Isaiah Simmons, Tristan Wirfs, Mackay Becton. I mean, you're talking about you're talking about some some really uh, you know promising, exciting guys physically, what they can do, what they did in college, and. Um, I don't know, Dan. I, I just kind of dismiss the idea of the Browns trading up. And yeah, I was talking to a friend and a colleague and Dan Lobby from Cleveland.com about that. I said I pretty much just I don't I don't, I don't even because this conversation stemmed from an Andrew Barry quote at the combine. He said that he's willing not only to trade down but to trade up. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't really believe you're going to trade up from ten. Uh, I, I believe there's a, a good chance you, you, you could trade down based on, on, on history and track record. But I just, I, I was talking to some of the pro football focus guys in the media center, and they said that um, um, I, 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 we were talking about how trading down is like a staple of analytics. And, and they were telling me, yeah, like if you look at, at, at history here, you know, the teams that trade down almost always win the trade. And trading up is almost never good. Like, so, like, I don't know. I mean, that's not Andrew Berry saying it, but that's... Smart people, yeah. I believe the Browns are, are totally in. And so I just, I don't think about the trade-up. Now, here's what Dan Lobby threw at me. They did trade up. This is true. They did trade up in the same 2017 draft from early in the second round in the back in the first back back into late in the first round exactly that was number 29 overall to, to draft David Njoku so they do have that in their history so that's why you know I, I'm giving Dan Lobby credit for uh, raising a good point in our conversation and uh, that's why you can't rule anything out but I still think trading from early in the second round to late in the first round is a different ball game mm-hmm. than trading up from 10 to say six or seven or whatever. Well, with, with that in mind, that trade that the Browns did when they got Njoku, they traded up to 29, like you said. They gave up 33 and 108, which is a fourth-round pick. What do the Browns have this year? An extra third-round pick. So they have some ammunition to to do that kind of move again if they wanted to. Um, of course, you know, the... The Njoku trade happened after the Browns acquired all these other picks from trading down to let the Texans take Deshaun freaking Watson. Um, but I, I think that's a, a thing to consider too. Uh, the, the trade up from the you know the first third of the second round into the back of the first round to get that fifth year of control. And we'll we'll see. I I think that's an interesting talking point that maybe we can cover some other time. It's interesting, but on a scale of one to ten, ten being yes. the most shocked you've ever been in your life, and one being you totally expected it. If the Browns trade up from ten, 
That would be Where do you a, fall on that scale? That's a strong seven or eight, I would say. Yeah, I'm 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 probably eight, yeah. The only I, the only thing that's making me surprised. the only thing that's making me not even more shocked that it could happen is the quality of players at the top of the draft and, and Simmons in particular. Um that that to me is the guy you, you target. So yeah. Well do you want to talk about Simmons real quick and Sure. Is I mean I mean, he he had, <laughs> he had one of the best yeah. combine performances of any player ever. He is like a 240 pound, six foot three, super fast athlete. He ran a four three nine. He did 132 on the broad jump, which is a extremely strong number for his position. I mean, his. He had the longest broad jump by five inches of any linebacker this year. Uh, and th- you know, th- those kind of things are kind of goofy, but they, they do show your athleticism and your explosion. So, again, it, it's a thing where it, it shows up when you watch him play. He He's a crazy athlete, just an absolutely crazy player. 39-inch vertical leap, everything you want in, in a modern NFL back seven defender and he is a guy that if if Andrew Barry was not the general manager of the Browns I would stump much harder for the possibility of them trading up for him he he fills so many roster holes that the Browns have and he's just a special player and he he showed why at the combine just an incredible athlete podcast again how he would be the one player we think would could uh, alter a plan to take a left tackle or I guess even a right tackle but to take a tackle at 10 mm-hmm. um, I would think that the chances of him being there at 10 are remote at best but I don't know I, I, I think crazier that, things have happened but yeah crazier things have happened but I Unless he puts on a, a gas mask bong uh, ten minutes before the first round starts, I, which is something I think that happened to Laramie Tunsil, I don't yes. think he's gonna fall at all. So or he was, or the video came out of him doing yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> from a, a previous time. Yeah, uh, an all-time great thing, by the way. Good grief. That is an wow, all-time. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that that doesn't happen to Isaiah Simmons. Unless, of course, you really badly want him on the Browns. Um, but if you listen to Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry, they're probably not going to draft that guy. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, with they, uh, you know, teams say one thing about off-field issues and then do another, but these guys have been hammering those points pretty hard. Mm. And uh, one thing I know from regime changes, when a coach <laughs> leaves or a GM leaves, usually somebody pretty close to a direct opposite comes in so like imagine freddie kitchens right blue collar background you know son of a tire maker um you know just he's freddie you know he went to alabama you know you know he uh you know he has this uh rough around the edges persona Mm -hmm. okay look at kevin stefanski 
the son of a longtime NBA uh, executive, obviously, you know, did not have the hardships of, uh, you know, the son of a tire maker from Alabama and, you know, went to the best schools in, in you know, Philadelphia and, and then, you know, was, a, you know, an Ivy League uh, football player. Um, you know, these guys, uh, there's differences in background and differences in, in you know, philosophy. And, uh, you know, this is a long way of saying that John Dorsey was the king of second chances. And if a guy had character issues, red flags, he would barely blink, right? He, he, he was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get these guys at bargain prices because they're ultra talented and Kareem Hunt is kind of the poster boy for that thinking. So the Stefanski Barry regime has really been hitting us in the media and you guys in the fan base are listening over the head with the idea that they're really going to value character and they really need to be the right kind of guys to be Cleveland Browns. Yeah, yeah, well said and you can make the same type of, you know, contrasts between Dorsey and, and Barry in terms of their backgrounds and who they are as as you know football front office guys but yeah and, and the whole old school scouting versus right hey you know Andrew Barry's a football guy he played corner at Harvard came up through the Colts scouting department but he's also a young new wave football guy who's totally into analytics and is Paul DePodesta's kind of uh, you know um protege in some respects from an analytical perspective but also has the, that blend that the, the Browns hope really pays off with the traditional scouting background to go along with it so um, yeah much different is what I'm saying it yes. happens time and again you bring in new people you're going to be able to draw those uh, comparisons and, and, and see how, the, how they contrast each other from their predecessors mm-hmm Nate, anything else this week before we get out of here? Uh, probably a lot of stuff that we didn't talk about, but you can go to Ohio.com slash Browns and read up on what uh, Andrew Berry and Kevin Stefanski had to say about a bunch of guys. Um, you know, they are going to uh, tender Cream Hunt. Um, that's Andrew Berry's plan. And, uh, you know, that's not a surprise really but you know uh, Andrew Berry said it at the combine um, you know he was we, we talked about the Joe Schobert uh, situation and the, the, the you know the, the direction that is is now headed um, but there are other players you know like Olivier Vernon uh, Andrew Berry said you know Vernon who's scheduled to become the highest paid player on the team and obviously coming off it you know, season he was injured for a long time, um, and so the production obviously doesn't match that that contract number. Andrew Berry is totally non-committal, and you know, expressed uncertainty about Vernon's future with the team, and said they're going to work through it here in the coming weeks. So, you know, th- there's you know things like that, and uh, you can find over at Ohio.com/slash/Browns because I probably. Uh, I'm not listing all of it, but those are some things off the top of my head. Yeah, there's a there's a ton of ton of stuff to to take in right now over on the site. So make sure you do that. Make sure you're following Nate on Twitter. He's at by Nate Ulrich. We're gonna have a lot more 
ahead on on some of these offseason decisions that Brown had to make, some free agent stuff. So it's it's never ending in the NFL world, and you all know that. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will talk to you next time.